0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan.
1: If you would, extend a charismatic hand towards my dad here. I'm charismatic too. I know, I love it. I love being charismatic. <laughs> it's exciting. Uh. Uh. Extend a hand. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love that we have your words here to learn from and to grow from. We ask that you would set those words on fire again this morning and that all of your heart uh, would come forth through the message, uh, through my dad's voice here and through um, everything you've put within him. In Jesus name. amen. Amen. Thank you.
0: I feel like thanking everyone for being here this morning. Thanks for coming. You could be anywhere, but you're here. And I'm glad. So good to see you. I would ask how you're all doing, but you won't answer. So I'll... Because I know John Mark did a minute ago, nobody answered. So I don't think I'm... (laughs) He did a good job asking that question too, so... Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you are. That's right. Stand up. I want everybody to see an example of a man doing great. Please stand up there. (laughs) Come on, let's give it up. Wow, we're studying the gospel of uh, John. Andy did a great job last week with his unorthodox communion, which... Was a great application of Jesus saying, "I am the bread." I thought that was uh, a great, a great time. The week before, John Mark—they're like two home runs. The first two weeks of the gospel, and here I am. So uh, I'm hoping for like maybe a double with an RBI. I don't, <laughs> that's a run batted in for you, soccer people. Uh, I'm just thinking about telling jokes the rest of the morning. But I don't have any, so. Oh, that was one, right? I'm on a roll, okay. Well, when you look at the Gospel of John, and um, John Mark mentioned this uh, the first week, which was two weeks ago, that the very beginning of um, chapter 1 is in many ways, parallel to Genesis chapter 1. If you'll see this on the screen, let's read that together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We'll go on. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. And I think the verse there, no one has seen God at any time. What they're alluding to is that no one has seen the most profound, deep, penetrating vision of God But we find out, except for the Lord Jesus, who is uh, an exact image. So you find multiple places in the Old Testament where Moses spoke face-to-face and different things happened. But it's talking about, actually, if God revealed himself in our present condition, it would probably destroy us. Because it's such, I mean, you just see some of the things that happen in the Scripture the radiant beauty of god i don 't know how we could we could take it to me, I think of people that want to understand god well that ain 't happening you know anyone you can understand you 're equal to if you th- you know what i 'm saying, so think through that a little bit, but anyway, so the Gospel of John begins with uh, a very similar uh, set of verses as to Genesis one. And as we continue, when we see this in a minute, the next thing that happens is John the Baptist appears and begins to speak about the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, that's Exodus. Uh, That's the book of Exodus where the Passover Lamb is um, slain to protect the Jewish nation from the death angel. The door on the post, the picture of communion, there's just all kind of insight into it. And so what we find in the Gospel of John is that the writer is, um, I, I can't think of the right word, but he is taking the Old Testament and revealing the reality of what God intended for us to understand from the very beginning, but he quite frankly couldn't show us until there was a parade of human history of all that went on in the Old Testament that culminated in the coming of the Son of God. Because there was a progressiveness to um, understanding who who the Lord uh, really is. I don't know if you're following that, but I am very happy to have just said it. Now, come on. Um, we read John 1, 1 and 2, verse 14 and verse 18. I want us to read this now in the Passion Translation. And, in, and let's, um, let's, let's try to read this again aloud, okay? In the very beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together, face to face, in the very beginning. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And he gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved Son, who was cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. And so you see New King James portion, then you see the same portion out of the Passion Translation, which gives us um, some more ways to look at what the author is actually saying. Um, Andy had given me uh, N.T. Wright's uh, commentary on the Gospel of John, And as I was reading through it, I wanted to use part of what he wrote, which involves these very verses. I wanted to use part of what he wrote as an introduction to set um, uh, the picture for what goes on here in the Gospel of John and what was going on when it was written and why John wrote it. And so N.T. Wright says, he's um, a British um, theologian, that some people like, some people don't like, but anytime you study something profoundly, and a bunch of people study things to real depth, they always come up with some different shades of meaning, so it's OK. You know another thing. this bugs me. Anybody want to know what bugs me? You can get great information, great insight from people on one subject, and completely disagree with them on another subject, but in this binary, reactionary existence we find ourselves in here in america it's this us versus them thing i mean if you mention you know now life is nuanced ladies and gentlemen we need to be able to pull from all different places without being tarred and feathered with yeah that's for real no that's that that's that's for real um You listen to me long enough, there's bound to be something you don't agree with about what I'm saying. But then there's that other stuff, right? And um, anyway, I'm not talking about getting away from the basics of the faith. I've said this before. I'll say it again. We're essentially, and I'm essentially an Apostles Creed believer. All the foundations, all the basics, all the commonly held truths of the Bible. So... Don't get nervous when I talk about things like this. But N.T. Wright writes this way. Verses 1 and 2 and 18 begin and end the passage by stressing that the Word was and is God and is intimately close to God. John knows perfectly well he's making language go beyond what's normally possible. That is, but it's meant, but it's Jesus, I'm sorry, he makes language go beyond what's normally possible, possible, but it's Jesus that makes him do it. Because verse 14 says that the word became flesh, that is, became human, became one of us. He became, in fact, the human being we know as Jesus. Then he says this. That's the theme of this gospel. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus. That's the theme of the gospel of John. Then he says this, and this this is another um, reality we have to face. But when God sends the word into the world, the world pretends it doesn't recognize him. Indeed, when he sends the word specifically to Israel, the chosen people don't recognize him. This is the central point problem which dominates the whole gospel story. And so here's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. And I have um, five of Jesus' purposes for being, for coming. I don't know if I'll be able to get to all of them, but uh, it's all good. I ask this question, who then is Jesus? What was his purpose? Well, so John's gospel is rich with understanding Revelation and insight. Now, one of the other things I wanted to look at besides Jesus' purpose, I wanted to say, what was the purpose of the book of John? Here's the purpose of the entire book of John, so that you might believe. So that you might believe. Um, In our generation, and when I mean our generation, I mean of all ages, cynicism has been held in high regard and high esteem. Doubting has become equated with what it is to be spiritual, so-called. But John declares over and over and over through his gospel that the most important thing is not that you doubt, but that you believe. And that's exactly why he has written this book. And so we see that. Um. John 20, 30 through 31, Jesus went on to do many miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of God, and through your faith in him. Say that phrase with me, please. Through your faith in him, what will happen? You will experience... Eternal life by the power of his name. And so there's an end uh, in believing. It's because the right kind of faith in Jesus results in an experience of life and power that you do not innately have in and of yourself. And so if you're not doing well spiritually... I would suggest you look at the simplicity of your faith. What are you believing? And I think there's another very clear idea that we often neglect. Testifying to other people about what you believe empowers your own personal experience of the very thing you're speaking of. Did you understand what I'm saying? Telling someone about your experience does two things. It gives them an opportunity for their life to change, and it increases your own personal experience of what it is you yourself believe. It's the power of a testimony. John's purpose for the book, so that you will not just fully believe. See, the idea is not just to endorse concepts and doctrines. It's to believe in a way that your experience in life changes. It's, it's not good enough to sign creeds. It's not good enough to adhere to correct doctrine alone. The reality of knowing Jesus, believing on Jesus, means you have access to energy, power, and life that you have not had before you met him, before you believed. John 19, verse 35, he writes here, I, John, do testify to the certainty of what took place, and I write the truth so that you might also believe. He reinforces it in John in chapter 19. Okay, in John 21, verse 24, I, John, am the disciple who has written these things to testify of the truth. And we know that what I've documented is accurate. Jesus did countless things that I haven't included here. And if every one of his works were written down and described one by one, I suppose that the world itself wouldn't have have enough room to contain the books that would have to be written. It's tremendous. Then we'll see. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of these things in the coming weeks. We see Jesus' first miracle. How many of you know what it was? It's turning wine into Kool-Aid. Jesus turning wine in, uh, water into wine is problematic for a lot of people. Deal with it. That's all I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not pro-alcohol. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to get kids to go drinking. But you cannot look at the Bible and, and make that other than what it is. And here's the real problem. People think um, the world should be a safe place. It's not. It's not a safe place. Your choices are so important. God gives us choices. We can make good ones, we can make bad ones. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God didn't just make this whole thing a very very safe uh you know when you, when you were born you you weren't born with a football helmet and and uh you know pre, uh SWAT team gear. You came out buck naked. And you just have to figure out what it is to live in this world, right? That's called reality. you you got to face up to that. Life is difficult. You can get in a mess. You can damage yourself, perhaps even irreparably, if you're not paying attention. Everybody with that? But Jesus turns water into wine. It's symbolic of the power Jesus has to make something very common into something very lively and joy-filled. And the crazy thing was, if you look at this, he turned... After everyone in the wedding had already had enough to drink, he made between 120 and 150 gallons of wine. Does that make any sense? Well, it makes sense because in the chapter before, Jesus told Nicodemus, you're going to see that heaven's open. Nicodemus. Nathaniel. Nicodemus was over there, but he didn't say that Nicodemus said to Nathaniel, you should see heaven open. Nathanael was from Cana of Galilee. Jesus goes immediately to Cana of Galilee and turns all that water into wine. And here's here's the idea. Heaven has got way more than we need. Heaven's got way more than we need. And in the coming weeks, we're going to begin to investigate what it means to be born again means that you have all you need to access heaven, see your life change, and get answers from God in, in very important needs for your life. And it's not absolute; it's relational. We'll look at all that. All right. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, verse John two, verse eleven. This miracle in Canaan was the Cana was the first of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing His glory, and here was the result: and His disciples believed in Him. And then John the Baptist, right after you have that prologue in the Gospel of John, the first character to appear or emerge is John the Baptist. And we read about John the Baptist here, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Then suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named John. For he came to be a witness, to point the way to the light of life, and to help Everyone believes. So we find out over and over and over this theme throughout the gospel of John. Now, does everybody have doubts? Yes. What do you do with your doubts? Well, tricky. Doubt your doubts. Believe your beliefs. Blah, blah, blah. Who knows? No, you need to know the Lord. You need to, you need to develop a relationship with Jesus, right? It's so important. Um. Remember, according to John, it's through your faith in him you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. So, that's why the gospel of John was written to enable us to believe in Jesus. Purpose number one, though, Jesus came to take away sin. John 1.29, the very next day, John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized, and John cried out, Look, there he is, God's lamb. He will take away the sins of the world. Any Jewish man of his day would understand why John would call Jesus God's lamb. They would automatically in their minds go to the Passover. That's, that's where they would act, where the, where the lamb was slain. And so when it says, look, there's God's lamb, he will take away the sins of the world. Studying that a little bit, the Aramaic is sins of the universe. And to take away means to lift off as in raising a heavy anchor from the ocean floor. But it's taking our sins by breaking its grip and taking away both its guilt and power from those who believe our discussions around the church with different people. One of the things a lot of people seem to be dealing with is shame. How many of you deal with shame? How many of you are ashamed of your shame? (laughs) A number of years ago, I I read this verse uh, where Jesus said, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And I always thought he was saying, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I I never knew. No, for you didn't know me, because to know the Lord's eternal life. But he said, no, depart from me, because I never knew you. And I thought, well, wait a minute. As I thought about that, I read from another preacher, and he was saying, what if... What if? What if God only knows about us what we intentionally tell him? How much would he know us? And our minds immediately go to, well, he knows everything. Well, that means exactly nothing, practically speaking. Do you know what I'm saying? That's just another concept. But what if he knew nothing about you except what you intentionally sat down and told him. And so I decided I'm going to do that. So I sat down. I'm never going to get through all this stuff. Jesus, you know it, don't you? <laughs> That's not going to happen. But this is important. This is What I'm about to tell you could change your life and, and deepen your practical relationship with Jesus in a way you would not believe. And the reason I know that is anybody I have told what I'm about to tell you and they have taken it to heart, they have come back to me and told me how things have changed. And so I sat down and I said, Jesus, uh, I'm Robert Agnew McMillan. My mom named me Robin because there were too many Bobs and Bobbies and Roberts in the family, and I never liked it because to me, Robin was a girl's name, but here I am, so what? (laughs) Deal with it. I was born January the 10th, 1951 in Anderson, but our family actually lived in this little place called Due West because my dad was coaching football at college there. And I, I have off and on gone through aspects. I've been telling Jesus who I am. Then I got to this part about my shame. I said, well, and I did this, and and then there are other things I'm ashamed of. You know, you can be ashamed of how you look, your body type, all that kind of stuff. I've got that stuff going on too. So I was telling the Lord, you know, this went on. I did this. I was ashamed I did it. And then I said to the Lord, but you never, you never felt shame because you never did anything to be ashamed of. And the Lord said, that's not true. He started talking back. That's called prayer. I said, said, you never did. He said, well, that's not true. I said, what? what?" He said, I felt and took your shame on the cross. And if people could truly understand how real that was, they would never be ashamed again because I took it. I was flabbergasted. I've been saved fifty years. I was saved forty years when I started talking to the Lord this way. I said, Lord, why why did you never tell me that before? He said, You never talked to me about it. Are you listening? There are things he will not talk to you about until you talk to him through your life. I'm serious. I've told very prominent, if I called their names, you would recognize who they are, this whole story. And they have told me, the Lord has spoke, as I have told the Lord about who I am, the Lord has spoken to me and corrected me and directed me and helped me more in ways than I can even begin to explain to you. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is real. Jesus wants to know you and not if, if we believed God knows everything, we would never pray. Why should you pray if he knows everything? Right? I mean, that's logical. Why would I ask God for help? He knows I need help. Just get with it. <laughs> right? But no, he doesn't want that. He wants this relationship. Now, does God know everything? Of course he does. But what if he acts like he doesn't as far as our interpersonal relationship is concerned? Because we're not being intentional about knowing him and letting him in to who we are. Wow, I did not have all that here, but I think that is very, very important. How did God deal with sin? Jesus took it away. How did he take it away? Romans 8, 3 says that God... God condemned sin in the flesh through the death of Jesus. That's what God did with your sin. He gave it to Jesus. Another Bible verse says, um, for the one who did not know sin became sin for us. See, that's the gospel. See, here's the great concept. Here's the great reality. Your sin problem is dealt with, but it doesn't it doesn 't you don 't benefit from it until you have a faith transaction, else everybody in the world would already be saved there 'd be no need to preach the gospel. This would be a completely kind of reality, but it 's not. We have everything we need available, but that does not mean we can experience it until we exercise faith. when we take to heart the truth of the gospel, when we apply the truths of the gospel to our lives, we begin to reap internal uh, eternal life, the Bible says. Purpose number two. I got eleven minutes. Everybody breathe deeply. Everybody, I'm not going to ask you. i going to ask everybody. Okay, don't, don't matter. Turn to somebody and ask them if they're all right. And if they say something negative, I don't want to know about it. But Jesus came to deal with sin because we were powerless. To overcome it. Purpose number two, Jesus came to reveal what God is like. John one seventeen and 18, Moses gave us the law, but Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. The King James says, but grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. The Passion Translation, Moses gave us the law, But Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved Son who was cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. Verse 18 we read earlier. He's unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is, it says. Or he has led the way into the knowledge of God. Or he has explained him. In Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about, do you know English is not God's first language? Everybody aware of that? Do you know what God's first language is? Jesus. God speaks in Jesus. What do I mean? Hebrews 1 verse 1, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir. For through him, God created the panorama of all things in all time. And so we find out that God has spoken through a son. We speak English. God speaks in son. God speaks in Jesus. The sonship of Jesus is a language he now uses to speak to us. And what that's saying is, um, a a lot of the Old Testament is explanation of things, so they can understand it. But in the New Testament, because verbal explanation is not enough, God sent his son Jesus to be an expression, a demonstration. We see how he related to people like the the woman at the well who had those husbands. That's the language of God. That's what God is like. The woman called in adultery, how Jesus, the mercy and grace of God, ministered to the woman called in adultery. That's the language of God. That's what God is like. But then we also see his conflict with the, the scribes and the Pharisees because I think God is very disturbed by hardness of heart and arrogance, but the Bible tells us God's language is His Son. Purpose number three: Jesus came to give us power to live a righteous and powered life. He's the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to get into any further because there are a couple of things I want to do. Purpose number four: He revealed. That were transformed through a relationship with him. In John 1 38 39, um, two of John the Baptist's disciples heard about Jesus. So here's what happened. As soon as John's two disciples heard about him, they immediately left John the Baptist and began to follow a short distance behind Jesus. Then Jesus turned around and saw that we're following him and asked, What do you want? Do you know the first question in the entire Bible God asked anybody was, Adam, where are you? Do you remember that after Adam and Eve fell? Adam, where are you? I can't imagine God makes one man and he loses track of him personally. (laughs) Adam, doggone it, he was here a minute ago. Put the man down and off he runs. Takes that woman. What are you going to do? No, who, who didn't know where they were? Adam. He had no idea where he was after the fall. Well, here we find the very first question Jesus asked. What do you want? They responded, where are you staying? Jesus answered, come and discover for yourselves. Let's say that together. Come and discover for yourselves. So they went with him, saw where he was staying, and since it was late in the afternoon, they spent the rest of the day with Jesus. So here's Jesus' first recorded question. What do you want? Let's say that together. No, let's say, what do I want? What do I want? Jesus was intentional. If Jesus was asking you that question this morning, what would you say? What do you want? Uh, He is asking that question, really. What do you want? Years ago, I was trying to find a woman that would marry me. I was having a very difficult time. (laughs) My poor wife no really I'm, i' i looked pretty good way way back in the day, but uh so the Lord asked me one day he said, "What do you want?" I said, "Well, you know you that don't work, ladies and gentlemen now see you there's what you say you want, and then there's what you want, and so I told the Lord a bunch of well, I'd like this woman who helped me in ministry and play the piano, sing. Uglier, the better. Didn't matter. I didn't say that last part. And the Lord left without helping me. And I could feel that he was not happy with my response. You ever been talking to the Lord and realized he didn't like what you said? And I said, oh, my. And so then he came back and he said, really, Robin, what, what do you really, really want? And I said, Oh that (laughs) you get it 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 was uh there was a sexual aspect to it there was a, a desire it was you know play the piano give me a break So I married this good-looking redhead that cannot play the piano. But the problem was, until I could tell him what I really wanted, I was stuck. I was stuck. And I could give him the, what's that, what's that phrase, BS? Doesn't that mean something? I could give him, what's that mean, a bad sorry answer? I could give him the BS answer very sorry answer not I, I can't remember but, but no 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 no. he's saying what do you want what do you want that's a great question for us to think about today what do you want and um I need to find this because uh, I've lost my way through this married oh here we go what do you want well they said to him we we want and this is weird they wanted to know where he lived. But really what they were saying is who are we want to know who you are. We want to know what makes you you. We want to come come and see. And here's what Jesus said and this is what he says to every single one of us and if we don't respond our, our, our Christian life will be diminished. He said, come and discover for yourselves. John Mark was talking a little bit about church earlier, and he was talking about maturity, and being mature means you have conflicts. Ladies and gentlemen, conflicts among one another are essential because you find out about your rotten part you've stuck in a corner, and you find out how difficult it is to grow up and be a legitimate, full-orbed, the Bible calls them humans, human, through that kind, those kind of relationships, you will never be all you were called to be unless you come and discover in relationship with Jesus and his people. And that's not a plug for this church. I'm just telling you the truth. Actually, one of the great um, uh, great patriarchs of the church in the early 1st, 2nd century, I can't remember, he used to say, one Christian is not a Christian. Anybody can be a good Christian by themselves, in your mind. Go find out what you're like. But we need to come. We need to discover for ourselves. Now, one other thing, I'll, I'll sort of cl- I'll close with this. I've got one minute because I try to stay close. to I don't really, but I need to. Um, <laughs> purpose number five, Jesus alone can tell us who we are. John one forty two. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet him. When Jesus gazed upon Andrew's brother, he said to him, You're Simon, your father's name is John, but from now on, you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, the rock. That was Jesus' introduction. That was Peter's introduction to Jesus. What was going on? Here's what Jesus was saying to Peter. I know who you are, but you don't. I know who you are, but you don't. Years ago, the Lord said, go into your concordance and see how many times you find the name Peter in red letters, which means Jesus said it. How many times? It it appears 191 times in the four gospels. How many times do you think Jesus said Peter? Guess, so 50, 20, 35. What would you guess? What would you guess? What would you guess? Come on. One. No, you're looking at it like a trick question. Which it is. No, 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 no. Here's the point Jesus only called Simon, son of Jonah, Simon bar Jonah, Peter, five times. Every other time in the Bible he called him Simon. Here's the point. As I have studied that, every time Jesus in his direct communication with Simon Barjona, any time he used the word Peter, he was revealing to him more about who Simon Peter himself really was. Now that's a whole lesson in itself. But here's what I want to tell you. You will never know who you are until Jesus tells you. And he will never tell you until you can tell him accurately who he is. Peter, who am I? Oh, Simon Barjona, who am I? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, and you're Peter. And upon this rock I'll build my church. What went on there? Peter knew who Jesus was. When he could fully identify Jesus, Jesus instantly began to tell Peter who he was. That's why it's so significant to know Jesus. He's the only person. Listen, in this world, you have all kinds of people, places, things, influences trying to mold you and fashion you into something that is a perversion of who you really are. And God wants to show you who you really are because there's something so wonderful and potent and powerful and remarkable about you. Now, N.T. Wright tells this story about hunting um, clay pigeons. How many of you know what that is? Those circular discs, and they shoot them out, and you blow them up with a shotgun. So he was out doing this with his uncle, never had done it before, and the last one came right at him. And he barely blew it up and it sprayed all over him. And his uncle said, you thought you were coming after them. You didn't know they were coming after you, did you? N.T. Wright knew he was going after the clay pigeons but didn't know one of them was coming after him. Andrew and Peter thought that they were looking for the Messiah. What they didn't realize was that the Messiah was looking for them. You talk to people, I've been looking for God all my life. Well, maybe, but let me tell you something. He's been looking for you all your life. N.T. Wright said, when you go looking for Jesus and discover that he's looking for you, you will remember that day Forever. Amen.
1: Hey Amen. I was just thinking through the message here that you know identity is uh, is a bit of a vacuum. Is that how you say it? It's a vacuum, meaning um, it's never not there. It's never not there. It's something you have whether you like it or not. And if we're not um, discovering who we are in the Lord, um, we will discover it in other ways, right? We sort of don't get the chance to sort of tap out and not do it, right? And, and um, you know, the whole world is trying to tell us who we are, you know, um, to sell things to us to, uh, for, for all kinds of reasons, you know? And I just think it's so important to take time, uh, maybe even in silence, to let the Lord speak into who we are. You know, it's easy to not do that. That's the first thing that goes. When my life gets stressful, my life gets busy, the first thing that goes is the, um, the time that I carve out to just be. But I'm pretty convinced that when I don't do that, I start to become all the other things that, you know, not the thing that I'm supposed to be, but the things that the world wants me to be, to sell me products, coffee and food and comic books and music and all the terrible things that the world wants to sell to us, right? Because I think who you are, the trajectory of your life comes from who you believe you are, you know, and so... I just think it's important, more important than ever. It's always been a problem. We complain about technology, but I was listening this week about (laughs) when people started writing, people thought, how are they going to remember anything if they write everything down? You know, movies and TV, we've always had this problem. Technology is not just a problem now. We've always had this problem. There's always a thing to distract you from carving out those moments to listen. So that's what I got from this message. I got a lot. But if there's one practical thing, like, how can we carve out more time? It's not a challenge. It's not like, I'm going to carve out a million hours. It doesn't have to be. It just has to be enough. It's not, a, it's not a contest. It's not a sacrifice contest. Who can pray the longest? It doesn't matter, right? I think what does matter is that we are taking time to find out who we are in the Lord on a regular basis. So, amazing message, Dad. I love that.